Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Do you have a story in you? Of course you do. For a lot of us, the hardest part of writing a novel is just getting started. Research shows us that having a support system ups our chances of success. While most of the writing life is a solitary experience, there's much to be gained from knowing that you have friends that are on the journey along with you. We at Dabble love to write and want to demonstrate in real time and in front of the world what it looks like to go from idea to plan to first draft. That's why we're kicking off the Write a Novel with Dabble in 60 Days Challenge. If you find yourself in need of camaraderie, we'd love for you to join us as we work toward completing the challenge. We'd love to hear encouragement from you, and we'd love to send some of that encouragement back to you. With a band of friends and the ultimate writing tool at our fingertips, there's nothing we can't do together, and we're going to prove it. We'll be planning weekly check-ins to share with each other and those of you that embark on this journey with us. You'll have a front row seat for our successes and frustrations. You'll see and hear how we're finding solutions to story problems that are hiding along the way and hold each other lovingly accountable throughout the process. We believe so much in the power of Dabble to help writers see their dreams realized on the page. We're going to put our keyboards into action. We hope you'll join us. Today, I'm super excited to have Adam Hamdi on the show with me. He has an amazing new book. It's called The Other Side of Night. And if you love thrillers the way I love thrillers, this is a must-have uh, in your uh, on sitting next to your favorite reading chair and ready to dig into uh, a mystery that is uh, different than any other mystery that I've ever read before. Uh, I love this book so much. I know you will too. Welcome to the show, Adam. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Hank, and for such generous introduction. Well, you're most welcome, and it was uh, it was true in in every sense of the word. Uh, Adam, we've got so much to talk about today, but before we do, um, we begin the show each time with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? My first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller, I mean, I've been writing since I can remember, really. I can remember being in a house in West London uh, and um, listening to the Flash Gordon soundtrack and writing a story about um, aliens who come to earth on a spaceship and I must have been about five years old and I was illustrating it and um, yeah, just writing this thing. And, and that's just gone on throughout my life. Um, you know, becoming a professional author didn't occur to me until I was in my late, well, no, in my, my, my um, sort of early thirties and 
it, just because of my background, we just didn't know anybody who was in the creative industry whatsoever. And um, it was just such an alien thing to do. But I mean, I've been writing since I, I was a very small child um, and it took me about 30 years or so to realize I could do it professionally. That uh, Flash Gordon soundtrack, would would that have been the one uh, that, that Queen did in the early 80s? That is indeed the one. Yeah, oh, what a what a great record that was. That was fantastic. <laughs> it was it was something special. So uh, yeah, no, that was I think that was also the first album that I ever bought. I love it. I love it. Uh, so going from that, Adam, to to where you are now, um, you know, an interesting thing about novelists is that there is normally a sort of circuitous route that that people go through that that brings them back around to that uh, original first desire to tell stories and 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 people uh, do all sorts of things in their life that that you think is um, you know random and those things wind up feeding uh, a novelist uh, creativity and and soul at some point what what did you do for a living before deciding to uh, go into novel writing? Uh, I, so my dad was a first generation immigrant to the, to England and had done all of the sort of, um, really tough, low paid jobs. And I'd sort of seen that growing up and I'd always wanted to be a lawyer, um, to avoid having to live that life, you know, a life of kind of hardship and adversity. And so I went and studied law at Oxford and um, I realized in my third year that law is, uh, well, commercial law, which is where the money is, is quite a dry uh, field. Um, and I decided that I was going to go and do something completely different. And I became a strategy consultant first at Lloyd's of London, the insurance market, and then for um, a small consulting firm. And basically, my job was to fly around the world advising big companies on how to make more money. Um, and, you know, you'd kind of look at their corporate strategy and figure out where there was room for improvement and how they could market their products more effectively and organize more effectively. And, you know, it was kind of marshalling resources better. Um, and then after I'd done that for a few years, I went into um, tech and did an in-up um, and did that for a few years and sold that company and then went back to consulting for a bit and my father passed away um rather unexpectedly and that was really the catalyst because it made me think you know life is too short and i should do what i'm really passionate about and not you know kind of endure things that, that make me unhappy and um so you know my wife and i um, left London and we both moved to the English countryside and um, I set out to become a successful writer. <laughs> well, I, I think you've succeeded at that. Um, looking back on those earlier careers, uh, the consulting, the working in tech, can you see anything that added to your writer's toolkit that you um, look back on now and, and and maybe a tool that you bring out and use that that you know at the time sure didn't seem like well, this is going to benefit a, 
uh, a writer one day? There's absolutely tons. Um, so the field I was in consulting, you have to get up to speed with things really quickly. So you'd maybe one week be working in, um, you know, telecoms, and then a couple of months later, you'd go and do a project in um, industrial components. And you had to um, get up to speed incredibly fast. And you realized that the best way to do that was a lot of data uh, a lot of market information, but actually the most powerful thing was to talk to people and to find out, you know, what life's like um, on the front line of a business, uh, what it's like in the back office. Um, and people are just amazing troves of information. And I used to be very, very shy, um, you know, often hidden it well, but I just, I don't like talking to people. I don't know. Um, it feels quite unnatural to me. I'm quite introverted. Um, despite appearances and uh, it, that, you know, that experience taught me that people aren't going to bite. People are usually very helpful and will share information with you and are incredible uh, troves uh, for, for anything where you need to do any research. So that's made me really comfortable um, phoning up people, emailing people, meeting people in person, chatting to them uh, and just, uh, you know, digging out little nuggets and facts that, hopefully make the writing more authentic um not necessarily realistic because i don't think novels have to be realistic they have to feel authentic within the world that they occupy um and so so that that's you know those are a couple of things just speed of research and and then just being comfortable talking to people they've they've really helped me with my writing adam i understand that you and and your your whole family to to uh, to some degree are really fond of rock climbing. Um, what is it about that activity that uh, fires you up? Wow, yeah, um, yeah, we are really uh, huge fans of rock climbing. I've been climbing for about twenty five years. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to it um, in an indoor center to begin with. And then we moved outdoors and you kind of progress through the various levels of uh, outdoor climbing. And um, we moved to sort of outdoor lead climbing, which is where you put in your own safety gear and that sort of thing. I think it's, it's such an all consuming activity. In other words, you have to focus on what you're doing. You have to be in the moment. Um, you will rarely find a sport that takes you to more beautiful places, um, mountains, cliffs, sea cliffs. Um, you go to incredibly beautiful natural spots and you are forced to focus on them. You can't be thinking about work or stories or problems uh, with school or with, with, with anything. You, you just have to be in that moment because you are, you know, you literally have your own life in your hands. But in the case of me, you know, I've got three children, um, and my wife's life uh, in my hands. So I have to be right there. And that's really good discipline to to learn is to be able to to zone out. And um, actually, it's, it's useful for writing as well, because there's often one of the things that people who are starting to, to write find is that they're constantly distracted. Right. Um, and that discipline of being able to just focus like a, a laser on what you're, you know, what you're trying to achieve, be it 500 words a day or a chapter or whatever it is, just it's really important to make progress as an author. Speaking of that focus and that determination and that single-mindedness that comes from that, 
when you then translate that to your writing time and and you're needing to get those 500 words out or, or 1500 or whatever your daily word count is uh is that a a skill that you can switch on that that you picked up from rock climbing um i'm really fortunate now that i'm able to write full time so i have, probably have fewer distractions you know this industry is sort of upside down in the sense that it's hardest when you're first beginning and you know the least and you're probably the least equipped to handle it and it's easiest as you progress um so the people who are starting out and writing debuts whilst they're juggling a job and a family you know it's really difficult doing that um, but if you can push through and you build a successful career you can then write full-time and it's much easier than to focus and it is something that i've learned from climbing is just to zone other things out um and I, I don't tend to have a daily word count i will uh, i write everything by hand so it'd be really difficult to count <laughs> what i was writing so i tend to go you know on a sort of chapter basis and it tends to vary depending on what i'm writing where i'm in the book um, and how intricate or research heavy um the particular you know piece that i'm writing is um but yeah, it's it's definitely something that uh, climbing has taught me, which is 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 that ability to focus. I I had uh, read uh, Adam that that you write your first draft longhand with a fountain pen and and a, a pad. Um, is, is there something about that tactile connection to the story that um, that that it it must be written in that way for you? Absolutely. Um, it's something that I was, uh, that I came to, I think, book four, my fourth novel. Um, and, you know, the way the keyboard is laid out isn't intuitive. We learn how to use it, but it's not designed to be intuitive. Right. And it's actually designed to kind of moderate our, our speed, our pace, so that we don't get repetitive strain injury. Yeah, and, um, and I think I had heard that that the QWERTY style keyboard layout was was actually meant to slow down some type yeah. at one point. That's yeah. bizarre, but yeah. Yeah. So for me, there is a more natural connection writing by hand. Um, and I use a fountain pen not for any pretensions, but just because you don't need to apply any pressure to it. So if you're writing with a ball pen, ball, ballpoint pen, it it hurts your wrist after, you know, 10 or 20 pages. Whereas right. a fountain pen, it's completely smooth. Yeah, it's completely smooth. So you can write for as long as you want and it doesn't bother you. And I, I do feel a, a better connection with the work. Your mind is just focused on, you know, what what's coming out. You kind of, it's, you're better able to get into the zone. But what's also interesting is your your first transcription when you actually come to type it up is an edit. So you'll go through and you'll right. be you know, sitting there trying to decipher your handwriting. Um, <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, this, this is actually a better way of phrasing that, or this is what I wanted to achieve here and I can do it, you know. But, so you actually end up doing an edit before you've even um, finished writing up your first draft, which I like. It's, it's For me anyway, it's led to um, better quality work. Do you feel uh, when you're typing in that that first edit um, as you're transcribing it, um, do you feel more connected to the story like like i've already been here i i understand what's going on here or is there ever uh you know a, 
a time where you come across a passage and you're just baffled like what was i thinking here what was going on here does, does that ever happen no i don't uh, never that never happens to me i mean I, I always plan my work quite thoroughly in advance so when i'm when before i even start writing i'll have been through you know three or four drafts of a one to three page synopsis you know a five to seven page short outline and then a you know 20 page 20 to 25 page outline um you know i do a lot of prep work building all that out and i think about things now for months if not years um quite often because i've got my schedule so planned out it's often you know it takes me a while to actually get to a story i'll have an idea and i won't i know i won't be able to write it for you know two years so i spend a lot of time thinking and revisiting things drafting things and so by the time i actually come to write something I know that world and I'm in it. And it's rare that I come across something that I, um, you know, think, oh, what was I thinking here? What's more common is that as with anything that's, you know, 100 and my latest book is 123,000 words. And with anything that long, when you write it out, there are things that you misremember by the time you've got to the end. And so when you go back and do the transcription, you're actually able to correct some of the errors that would have appeared in a first draft. You know, some of the logic, some of the, you know, small flows, what color trousers, you know, the character was wearing or, you know, what kind of car they were driving or, you know, it could be something small like that or something more fundamental. So it allows you to do some of those um, fixes before you've even done your first read through. Um, so I find it very helpful. When, uh, when you're thinking about your outline, your your pre-writing work, if you will, um, what level of, of detail are you going? I, I think you you said that you start with maybe a, a one-page idea document and then flesh that out, and then you ultimately end up with about a 20-page uh, chapter breakdown. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm having to do this just at the moment. Um, there's a producer who's asked me to um, – he's asked me for a feature um film that uh it's an idea that i've got and um i've started with uh, a three-page outline and, and i'll do the same thing for a novel and at that point i'm not thinking about plot i'm not thinking about anything clever i'm just thinking you know what's the story here and who are these characters and these are sketches you know these are these are sort of you know one or two line summaries of who these people are and one or two line summaries of what's happening to them, the key beats within the story. And, you know, you'll get to, you know, in this case, it's like three pages and you'll see at that stage, whether you've got the foundations for a feature or a TV show or a book, what, you know, whatever it is, you'll know, because it just comes alive when it's right. You can just see, okay, this is really interesting. There's inherent conflict. There's drama. There's, um, there's a journey, there's a mystery, whatever it is, there's, you can see that in that small piece. And if anything's not working, um, there was a small thing that wasn't quite right. And it went to character in the piece that I was working on. It was, um, I had one character accomplishing the main character's goal and it was a really easy fix at that point. If I started writing the book and had that happen in the book, it would have been a big change to make. But at that point, I saw it, you know, saw straight away and could fix it. And it was a couple of lines change. And then you can see that the rest of the structure works really well and everything flows together. 
And then from there, I'll build out to sort of five to seven pages and then a 20 page outline. And at that point, you're breaking down into either scenes for a screenplay or you're breaking into chapters for a novel. And each chapter will probably be about yeah, maybe a quarter of a page to half a page um, with just the key events, uh, key sort of beats for characters and, and that sort of thing. And at that point, you're thinking about plotting as well. So earlier on, you're just thinking about story and how all of the dynamics work. And then later on, you're thinking about, well, what's the best way of presenting this story? How do I plot this and show, um, you know, this story in, in the most effective and entertaining way for the reader? Does does having that plan ahead of time uh, prevent you from, you know, when people talk about being blocked and uh, that writer's block and, and just the story won't come. But if you if you have a plan ahead of time, then each day when you sit down to write, um, you kind of know what the expectation is for that scene. Does it, is that the benefit? Uh, it's one of the benefits. Yeah, I mean, I've never typically um, struggled with writer's block. I understand it. Um, I completely understand it. But I've come from a background where, you know, my first job when I was how old was I? I was 13 and it was a summer job working in an industrial laundry in a hotel and it was so hot and so miserable and I would lose about a gallon of uh, sweat every day and my job was to stand at the end of an industrial um, folding machine, a press, and um, do the final fold on thousands of towels and thousands of sheets every day and wow. it was really miserable work. And I get up, I had to get up at um, half past five in the morning to be there for my shift. Um, and so it was, it was, that was tough work. And I've always got in my mind, I've done worse jobs than that. <laughs> and I've always got in my mind, you know, I could be doing that. And I've always, I've, you know, I've never missed a day of work, you know, even when I've hated the job. And so the idea that I would, you know, let down a publisher, let down a producer, not deliver, um, struggle. Uh, it, it just doesn't, uh, it's not part of who I am. Um, I completely understand, you know, why other people, um, you know, get writer's block, but it's just not part of, of who I am. And I, I always kind of keep those jobs in my mind and think, okay, there's a lot of hungry um, keen writers, be it screenwriters or authors out there who would happily take your place. So get up and whatever it is, just push through. However you're feeling, just push through. And even if you just start writing nonsense, you know, the conversation that you had last night or, um, you know, how you're feeling about the weather this morning or whatever, whatever it is, if you just start writing nonsense, you usually find that the mechanical process of writing, whether you do it on the computer or by hand, will just break that block. And you can then switch to whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish creatively. Um, you have said, uh, Adam, that you are a topical uh, writer. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, my first, uh, my debut novel, Pendulum, was about um, the connections that we can forge on the internet and how dangerous some of them can be. And it was at a time when I, I remember giving my first ever author talk and you know, the book deals with, it's not about, but it deals with people encouraging others um, online to take their own lives. So these suicide forums 
And I remember standing in this author talk, talking about this, and somebody put their hand up and said, oh, that's not real. That would never happen. And I said, oh, that is happening right now. You're just not aware of it. Um, yeah, you, you haven't was, been on the internet. <laughs> you haven't been on the internet, right. But I mean, it wasn't as commonly, you know, it, was, it certainly hadn't hit the mainstream media at that point. It wasn't commonly known. So, you know, it, it's it's the things, it's the kind of the world around us that interests me and how we interact with the world around us and what it does to us, you know, how it affects us that interests me. And so for that reason, I sort of say, you know, that I, I kind of do topical books. The Other Side of Night, I think, is actually timeless. You know, it's it's not a topical book. It's a book that could be read in 100 years. It could have been written 20 years ago. It's a, you know, it's a timeless book. And so it's slightly different. But I think what it deals with is um, universal human themes of grief, grief and loss and sacrifice. Um, and it's, you know, it's intended to kind of make you think about yourself and your place in the world um so you know i think in in that sense it fits with my overall brand i guess i, I don't know if i have a brand but yeah it fits with the overall my overall intention which is to entertain people but to get them thinking yeah um adam if and, and this is this is not directed at you or your work at all so so please don't take it that way but is there ever a um, when when you're thinking about a particular topic or you have a theme in mind before you write the book, as opposed to writing a book and then looking back and and seeing the themes that did emerge in the writing, like we all do, um, is there ever a um, uh, a a threat or um, do you ever worry about having that theme or that topic turn into? preaching or you know the 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 story coming across as agenda driven uh is that ever anything that you wrestle with absolutely i mean yeah absolutely and i think um i try and take care not to preach i think you know when i, I went for one my university interview and it's always stuck with me because it was a bizarre experience but one of the things um one of my would then you know went went on to become one of my tutors said he said it's not the answers you have it's the questions you ask that's what's important um and so i actually don't think uh it's the answers that you can provide that are of interest you know i think the best authors ask questions they make us look at the world slightly differently they offer us experiences through their eyes, which are going to be inherently different from ours. And, you know, if you try and preach to readers, uh, I guarantee at least 50% of the readers will take the negative view because they'll disagree with you. You know, there'll be something in what you say that makes them say, you know what? <laughs> no, I, I believe the opposite. And we know how polarized the world is. Whatever you say, someone's going to find fault with it and have an argument um, about it. So if you were to set out and say, I'm going to present you with a good and moral view of the world, half your readership is just going to say, well, no, this isn't right. I, I, I follow a different view of the world. Um, and so you're just going to alienate people. So I, I, I think it's much more interesting to try and pose questions um, and offer a perspective on the world, uh, on characters that just gets people thinking. 
you said that your new book, The Other Side of Night, uh, is uh, is timeless in in its themes, uh, and the the, uh, the the relationship of the characters. And I 100% agree with that. This story could could be told now. It could have been told 50 years ago. It could have, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it'll go into the future. Um, but when you have a new project that you're beginning, Adam, um, I'm I'm always fascinated with the moment of creation for a book because at at some point in time, the other side of night does not exist in any form or fashion. But then either a character walks onto the stage of your mind or or maybe you've been thinking about a, a, a news article that you read or something you saw on television or a conversation you overheard and the what if game starts starts playing in your mind. And then in on some level, the other side of night does exist. And then it's your job as the writer to dig out that story, excavate it, dust it off, polish it up. And then, you know, the, we wind up with a book like this. Um, what is that first kernel of creation like for you? Uh, that's a really good question, Hank. Um, the, I mean, in the case of the other side of night, it was my uh, our middle son asking us a asking me a question while we were out for a walk in the Roaches, which is one of the locations that features in the novel. Um, he he asked me a question, and it just stuck with me because it's the question that kind of underlies. The novel it underpins the novel and he um we, we had a really interesting conversation and all the time i was thinking you know my goodness there's a story here there's a really interesting story here and so i started trying to flesh it out that day uh but it took me five years to get it right and i think you're absolutely right i think you can have a feeling of excitement a feeling that you've got something alive um, is probably the best way to describe it right and your job actually as the author is to to find the best manifestation you possibly can of that work. And sometimes that's really easy um, because the story is relatively straightforward. It doesn't mean that it's not a good story. It just means it's an easier story to tell. And sometimes it's really difficult. Um, and this was a difficult book to write because it required some really um, in-depth thinking about character and structure and form and how it's all put together um, to make it work. And that just took a while. Uh, so, uh, you know, in general, it begins with that spark and that feeling of, oh, I've got, you know, I've got a live one here. You know, this is a really exciting um, thing, whether it's a character or a concept or whatever that you, you want to explore. And then begins the process of figuring out that best manifestation of it. There, there's been a lot of talk about the twist in this book, and and I definitely don't want to give anything away, and and I haven't seen any talk about it on the internet that that I've seen so far. So uh, people have been really good about not spoiling the book, uh, but I don't want to give the impression that this book is a one trick pony. That that you know the twist is what we're all leading up to, but it is uh, an important part of this book. Um, how do you think about the the misdirection uh, that you're going to provide the reader and the weaving bits of story in that the reader just absorbs and has no idea that they're being taken down a path that will 
lead them somewhere completely unexpected. How, how do you how do you think about the twists and turns that are inherent to a story like this? So, I mean, I think the the best way to think about it, and I'm I'm doing it at the moment actually with the book that I'm just just finishing and editing, is there is a truth, which is a weird thing to say because it's all fiction, it's all made up, right, right. But there's a there's a truth to fiction. Um, and in the case of the other side of night, it's being told by um, a man who is talking about the loss of his son um, being separated uh, from his son. And so always one of the most difficult things about the book was actually finding that perspective, finding that point of view and finding the right um, narrators to take you through the story. And once you've taken... Once you've understood that, um, there is a truth to how this person would tell a story. There's a truth to, you know, how they would try and engage the reader and how to captivate it. And actually, it's one of the things that I'm trying to do more and more now is to try and inhabit the characters. So, you know, all of these things, um, books that I'm writing now are all very character driven. And you're trying to find that character's truth. And I think if you... Um, write something that's true to that character, then the readers will come with you because they're having a lived experience with that character. You know, they're feeling it and they're taking that journey. And at no point in the other side of night, is there any artifice? You know, you see everything that the characters know, you experience everything that the characters know. Um, the only construct is the fact that you're being told a story by someone. Um, but that's fine because that's how they would tell the story. So there's no deception or anything like that. You're just being told a story. So, um, I, and I think that's key. I, I get annoyed when, you know, authors cut away from a scene, you know, saying something like, oh, she chose not to think about who'd killed her mother that day. And, and it's just a deliberate ploy to try and keep a reveal. But actually that character knows that information. You know, it's, I don't like sort of, false um concealment and structures that are being manipulated by the author because it feels intrusive so i think as long as you stick to your truth your character's truth you can um you can have a, a lot of fun and actually the most powerful thing in this book is point of view I'm, it's just changing points of view that help um build the anticipation and build towards that twist well, and what's fun is by changing points of view, um, we really get a, a three-dimensional representation of a story because uh, any one character's point of view is is by nature going to be skewed one way or the other. And uh, that I guess that that's one way to just add depth and, and layers to a story just by getting different points of view. Is that something that you uh, rely on heavily in your writing? Um, it, it varies. I think it was essential for a, a book like this. The book that I'm working on at the moment is um, a single point of view. It's told as a memoir. Um, so you see it all happening from one person's point of view. The book that I'll be working on next is more like The Other Side of Night, very rich, lots of perspectives, lots of points of view, um, lots of, you know, it's kind of epic in its scope um, and the time that it plays out against. So it's, uh, 
you know, that's going to be a much, much more challenging uh, book to write. So it varies. I think it just depends. Again, it's like, it's, you know, like I sort of said earlier with the, and well, as, as you said, you have the idea and then you figure out the best form for it. Right. The other side of night when you're hearing this is available everywhere. Now you can grab it in Kindle edition or hardcover, or it's also available as an audible audio book. Uh, Adam, we're recording this a, uh, a little bit before the book releases. So have you had a chance to listen to any of the audio book yet? I have. Yeah. Um, it's a really lovely performance. And we, we went with a, uh, a narrator with a performer who has just got such um, gravitas and resonance. And, and I wanted that because David Asher, who tells the story within the book um, is someone who, you know, has lived and experienced a lot in his life. And I wanted that to come through in the telling of the story. So I'm very pleased with it. I love it. I can't wait to get the audio book and experience the book all over again by listening oh. to the performances. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. I know yeah. we're going to put links in the show notes of this episode where you can grab the other side of night um, or go visit your local bookstore, support local books and, um, Adam, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, is there a place online where they could find you, find your back catalog and connect with you? Yeah, I have um, my uh, website, adamhamdy.com. Um, and you can actually uh, download one of my earlier novels there for free if you sign up to my mailing list. Um, it's a noir supernatural thriller. Um and it's uh yeah I, I quite like it it's it's an engaging and uh quite a uh, propulsive read um so if you want that for free just sign up to my uh, mailing list excellent and we'll uh, link that up in the show notes as well to make it easy for folks to find you uh the other side of night a must-have that you must go out and grab this book uh it's not even negotiable uh adam thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today <laughs> Oh, thank you very much, Hank. And uh, thank you for the kind words about the book and such an interesting conversation. You know, great questions. I've really enjoyed it. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the Storycraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The Storycraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.